Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Thursday, March the 22nd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, a brand new mock draft is up on drafttech.com, and I wrote about it in more detail on lockedondolphins.com, so we're going to break that down for you guys here on the podcast. Also, the 2013 portion of the Ryan Tannehill project is complete. I will dive into that and share some interesting data points from you as well from Twitter, as well as CK Parrott, once again, Chris Kaufman. And the Dolphins have a needed defensive tackle. What are the Dolphins' options for replacing Indomitian? can sue up front. We got a packed show today, but first, as always, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. Helps the podcast grow. Get out to more Dolphins. You guys know that by now. Give me a follow on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins and check out the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network, LockedOnDolphins.com for your daily written Dolphins content needs. And last but not least, check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast. For all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams, let's go ahead and get into first down right away here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins and it is first down here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Let's go ahead and kick it off with mock draft season. I guess officially underway, and I've given you guys a couple of mocks here in the past, but that was more just about filling out players that were good players and not really giving you much of a sense of drafting for particular needs, which I don't think is a good practice to begin with, but you kind of have to take it into account at this time of year because teams will certainly draft for positions they have to have on their roster for 2018 or that particular year, I should say. So we've been talking about those those specific needs on a few shows here and there, but we're still a more than a month away. But drafttech.com published its first mock draft today. And just so you guys are aware, I've explained it a couple times, but in case you haven't heard it before, the way that process works is I run the Dolphins draft board there. I'm the Dolphins draft analyst. And I pick a list of 20 players that I think the Dolphins will be interested in and which rounds they would possibly pick them in. And I also fill out a priority list in terms of which needs they have, and, and you rank that one through nine. So I didn't get a chance to go through each round as it was live and happening and pick those guys. So don't hold my feet to the fire for some of those picks I'm not exactly thrilled with. Some of them I do love, but we'll go ahead and get into that mock draft now here. And I'll pull up on LockedOnDolphins.com and just kind of go over those picks with you guys and tell you kind of the thought process behind those players and what it means for the Dolphins. The first pick, number 11, first round for the Miami Dolphins, I landed Vita Vey, the all-athlete, all-size, all-everything defensive tackle, interior lineman for the, from the University of Washington. He is a dominant defensive tackle that can play both the run and the pass. He can play the nose guard. He can play the three technique. He can do just about anything for you and move guys both with power and speed. So he's a dominant physical specimen there. A great spot for him to go. He's one of my top five players in the draft on talent alone. Dolphins get him at pick 11 in this scenario. Round number two, pick 42, they get a tight end to fill a huge need. Probably the biggest need on a Dolphins draft board for me right now with A.J. Derby and Marquise Grayson atop the board on that Dolphins depth chart. But they go ahead and get Mike Gusecki out of Penn State. He is a basketball background. He has a volleyball background, a leaper, a pass catcher, a red zone threat, a guy that can run up the seam, a guy that can flex out and be a detached tight end. 
He's not going to give you anything by way of blocking, but he is definitely a pass target down the seam of the football field. So he comes to Miami in the second round. And then the third round, possibly my favorite pick here, running back Kalen Balage from Arizona State at pick number 73 for Miami. He has all the tools to be a feature star running back in this league. 6'3", 220 pounds, he can move. He's got good change of direction, good agility, good power, can run away from guys in the secondary. He had a really, really, really nice senior bowl week. But his production was down at Arizona State, despite the fact that he can flex out in the slot and catch passes like a receiver, kind of like Jalen Samuels does. He can run the ball 25 times a game and have production there too, but they just didn't do a whole lot from a production standpoint in the running game at Arizona State, so he couldn't really get going down there in that Pac-12 team. Round number four, pick 123. I didn't love this one. I made up for it because my next pick I do love, but I like the player, but I just I don't know if I want to draft a quarterback at all because it seems like you're kind of pissing into the wind at this point because Ryan Tannehill is going to be the guy. They've structured the team around him. We all know that. We'll talk about it later on the show here, but you do have to find a backup at some point. But do you really feel comfortable with Riley Ferguson here, quarterback from Memphis at pick 123 as the primary backup? I mean, would he even beat out David Fales right away? Would any quarterback in the third or fourth round beat out David Fales right away? You have to think that a rookie quarterback that isn't one of those top five or six guys, which Miami is not going to get. It's not going to happen. They're not going to trade up and get one of those guys. If they go a quarterback at this point in the draft, it's a long-term process, but a lot of the stuff I see on Twitter or the Dolphins fans' complaints is that they need to have someone to back up Ryan Tannehill because of the knee, but I've just gotten to the point to where I don't see a point in attacking that position because if Tannehill goes down, just take your medicine. It's not going to be a good year regardless, and you don't trade up into the draft to hopefully have an insurance policy for a quarterback that's already your starter, so... That makes no sense, but drafting a guy in the second and third round to be a backup makes no sense if you're planning on going forward with Tannehill because you're wasting a resource on a position that you could be filling out somewhere else on the roster and getting better on the football team. So Riley Ferguson, though, he can spin it. Great anticipation, great touch on the football. He's got the size and the build to be a quarterback at this level, and Adam Gaze could possibly fall in love with him. So Riley Ferguson from Memphis, pick 123. Pick 131, just a few picks after that in the fourth round. This is one of my favorite picks in the whole entire draft here. Outside linebacker Jerome Baker, Kevin Dern, you guys know him from the podcast, turned me on to him. He's a good change of direction, good nickel linebacker guy right away, can come onto the field as a rookie in those sub packages and help your pass defense a lot there. So he's a good pick from Ohio State. And then all the way to pick number 209 in the sixth round, I don't even know who this guy is. It got auto-populated to me. Safety Dane Couric-Shank from Arizona. He was a team captain. I looked that up, found that out. Would be more of a special teams guy off the jump. Sounds like he's more of a box safety, so I don't really know how that makes any sense, but that's what we got stuck with. And these two seventh-round picks are a couple of guys I just personally like myself. The cornerback from at 227 out of the UTSA, University of Texas, San Antonio, Devron Davis. He's a guy that has been sending me gifs and cut-ups of his own film. On Twitter, he's just a really likable guy. He's very, very hungry to get out there and get into the pros. Didn't get invited to the scouting combine or any of the all-star games, but he's a fits the prototype. He's six foot tall, 210 pounds, long arms, can play press, and has a good feel for finding the football in the passing game. And then pick number 229, last pick for the Dolphins here in the 2018 draft, tight end Dalton Schultz out of Stanford. Another developmental guy, but he can come in right away in those heavy packages and be a guy that can line up in line and help your running game on short yard situations, as well as leak out and catch a couple of balls if they get to that point there. But he'd be like a more 100 to 200 type of snap guy in his rookie year at best from the seventh round. But what more can you really ask from the seventh round? I kind of like to approach the draft. Let's find guys that can come in and contribute right away in certain packages. Let's have a plan for them. And then hopefully you can develop the other parts of their game and make them into full-time players. So I feel like I've done that with Dalton Schultz. I feel like I've done that with Jerome 
Sean Baker. I feel like Kalen Balaj definitely fits that mold. Vita Vey is a day one starter, hopefully filling out some of Dominican Sue's 85% of his snaps he leaves behind. And Mike Kaseki definitely has a role on this team as a pass catcher as well. So that's the draft I have from drafttech.com. It's going to be updated all the time, guys. Any big moves or certain dates on the calendar up until leading up to April 26th for the NFL draft. We're going to have updates for that. You can read my comments on there as well. Everything up there for you guys. But it's also on LockedOnDolphins.com, so check that out. And just real quick before we get into the next segment, talking about positions of need, the Dolphins are possibly hosting a linebacker. Emmanuel Lemur is visiting with the Dolphins. If he leaves his visit in Oakland without a contract, he'll come to Miami and talk to the Dolphins about signing a contract there. He has familiarity with Paul Gunther, so it sounds like the Raiders might get a good crack at him. But if he makes it to Miami and signs, the linebacker depth would be outstanding. A very athletic player, had some bad luck with injuries, but that's all a note from a text I got from Kevin Dern to reference him once again here on the podcast. So Emmanuel Lemur, possible visit for the Dolphins, possible depth at linebacker to hopefully beef up a unit that is wanting more at this point. We got more to come on the podcast talking about Ryan Tannehill's 2013 season as well as some data points on Twitter from CK Parrot at CK Parrot Chris Kaufman you guys all know about him and kind of talking about some more things the Dolphins can do in the draft in terms of replacing Indama and Sue next on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. and if you guys follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL you saw a lot of gifs last night both in the mid-afternoon or, or late evening, I guess, in the west on the East Coast, and then late, late at night on the East Coast as well. I had left off at the final three games of the 2013 season, which basically encompasses the highs and lows of a Dolphins fan over the last 20 years. That win over the Patriots in Week 15 to get them to 8-6, and six, needing just one win over the Bills and Jets in Week 16 and 17, could not get it done. But just going back over the entire project in 2013, the Dolphins made it a point to get better skill players for Ryan Tannehill, and it started off good with Brandon Gibson, at least early on in that season, and Charles Clay was playing pretty well as well. But Mike Wallace is probably the worst player in team history, in my opinion. I know it's that's a lot to say, but I, I definitely need to redact my free agents, my worst free agent signings, because Mike Wallace, I omitted him for some reason. I'm not really sure why, but he is 100% the worst free agent signing in Miami Dolphins history because... It looks like a lot of the routes he ran, he was freelancing. He definitely bent them off at the wrong landmarks, running 20-yard comebacks instead of the usual 15. He was slipping on the ground, causing interceptions. He didn't attack the football when it was up in the air in a 50-50 ball, but then get picked off. He was just constantly being force-fed balls when he wasn't open. And he just, I cannot describe my disdain enough for Mike Wallace that year. He dropped so many footballs. I want to say PFF had him down for 11 drops. I think I counted about 15 that year, dropped about a ball a game. Brian Hartline had some drops that year. Charles Clay had a lot of drops that year. Brandon Gibson had some drops. Marlon Moore had some drops. All things told, I've got to go back and chart it over again, but I think they were right around 45 drops on the entire season, an insane number for Ryan Tannehill to overcome. And the games I did last night, the New England Patriots game where he you know pulled off the comeback at the end of the game, a couple of touchdown passes in the fourth quarter. He played well there, but... I think that his game against the Jets in Week 17, despite completely conflicting box scores, was even better because he was on time, he was throwing more accurately, had some great escape plays where he broke the pocket, made some big plays down the field, threw under pressure. In that Patriots game, he missed some throws, but because Mike Wallace slips and because the he has to throw up some garbage time Hail Marys at the end, he gets a couple of interceptions in that game, his box score falls apart, and 
It just you go back and you see special throws on every single game that he has, whether it's driving the ball to the far hash on a 15-yard out or comeback, or it's you know escaping the pocket and throwing on the move with great torque and great velocity and making a big play in the passing game, or taking off on the run and making a big play in the running game too. He just has every every game he does something that makes you say, "Wow, that guy definitely has it." And while there's some warts there too, and 2013 wasn't his best season, there were some warts in that season as well. You can just kind of see why if you watch those tapes you can see why I'm such a fan of him what he can possibly become for the Dolphins going forward under Adam Gase especially in that week 16 game that he gets a lot of crap for the Dolphins offense was atrocious on that day the Bills sacked the quarterbacks eight times they had a couple of picks in the game one of Matt Moore who came in for a banged up Ryan Tannehill after one of those sacks all seven of the sacks that Tannehill took in that game were unavoidable what I mean by that is there was immediate pressure within the first two seconds of the drop back and there was no receiver open at the top of the drop so that's an unavoidable sack. I saw someone on Twitter tell me that there's no such thing as an unavoidable sack, which is one of the funnier things I've heard in a while, but you hear a lot of funny things on Twitter. So that game just, there was two plays in the first quarter also where Hartline dropped open passes where Tannehill broke the pocket on bad on pressure and extended the play and hit, hit Brian Hartline between the eight and the two on his jersey. And he dropped the football both times. Just kind of goes back to showing you that every the quarterback gets blamed and gets credit for everything that happens for a team, but it's just really an egregious idea that that's the case. So just watch the team evaluate all 22 players. It's not all about the quarterback. But speaking about evaluating the quarterback and what you can do to build around that quarterback, I'm going to share a couple of tweets for you guys from CK Parrott on Twitter, Chris Kaufman, and it kind of reinforces the column I wrote for Sunday night on Adam Gaze's vision, the architect behind this remade offense for the Dolphins, built around Ryan, built around Ryan Tannehill. And here's a couple of tweets from CK. I'm going to read them verbatim for you guys. Like I said, I retweeted them on my timeline, also on at CK Parrott's timeline on Twitter. Why did the Dolphins budget $9.5 million to keep their right tackle, acquire a pass pro specialist at left guard, Josh Sitton, and two quick slot receiver specialists, Albert Wilson and Danny Amendola? Because according to profootballfocus.com, in 2016, Ryan Tannehill had the fourth highest passer rating and four highest accuracy on no pressure snaps. So with a clean pocket, he is up there among the upper echelon of quarterbacks. Also, according to PFF, Tannehill had the third highest passer rating when throwing the ball within 2.5 seconds or less in 2016. This is how you have to view Miami's offseason. It's all designed to help Tannehill be the best he can be, which is actually pretty good in Gaze's system. Also worth noting, the new center Dan Kilgore has a reputation for anchor and pass pro, and it appears deserved. His pressure rate, along with the other San Francisco offensive linemen, got wonky when rookie quarterback C.J. Beathard came into the game and held onto the ball too long, but in other weeks, he was top 10 in pressures allowed. So as long as Beathard wasn't playing quarterback, Dan Kilgore was a very, very good pass protector. The Dolphins see that. They see the same thing in Josh Sitton, who has been unanimously one of the best left guards in terms of pass protection for a long, long time, according to Pro Football Focus. And that's not really a, ju- a stat that's open to interpretation. It just is what it is. Either they pressured the quarterback or they didn't. And Josh Sitton and Dan Kilgore were both, both very good in that regard. Same with Juwan James. The slot receivers where Tannehill gets the ball out quick. They can win right away. I've talked about it a million times. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com, the Adam Gaze architect piece up there right now. So it's good to have that information corroborated by a guy that a lot of people respect in Dolphin Nation. He's got about 9,000 followers on Twitter. He's written in a bunch of featured columns for Bleacher Report, TSN, and South Florida Sun Sentinel. So it's nice to have someone, you know, well-respected kind of back up the information that you've divulged for the listeners and the fans out there for you guys. So all in on Ryan Tannehill, I watching the tape again last night. I've kind of, you know, there's a lot of vitriol out there talking about Ryan Tannehill going forward. Everyone wants Baker Mayfield, all this stuff. And because I hadn't really gotten back into the Ryan Tannehill project, I, had, I did the 2012 season earlier, about a month ago, it wrapped up and I posted it. Haven't really gotten back into it. I had done most 2013 
tape study and charting on that project, but I just took a break and haven't gotten into it. So I finished 2013 last night with those three games and that month span where I wasn't really watching the tape, I didn't necessarily buy it, the stuff people were saying, but you just see it so much, it kind of rubs off on you. And I was thinking, man, I, I was starting to get a little bit of doubt to creep in just a little bit, not nothing you know significant, but I go back and watch the tape. I go back and see these tweets and I'm right back to the conviction that I have. And I, it just reminds me to always trust my eyes when watching the tape because my track record is good on quarterbacks. You guys can check out my track record on thirdand10.com talking about quarterbacks in that 2016 season. I had a couple of misses, but for the most part, you know, the tape doesn't lie, guys. And I, if you know what you're watching, know what you're looking for, you can see it. I see it in Ryan Tannehill. We are going to be fine at the quarterback position. This vision to build around him is going to be just fine. Now, it, there's a, obviously a chance it doesn't work. That's the way football works. You have a lot of close games, a lot of even talent levels across the league. It could not work, but there's definitely a vision in place, and I want to reinforce how strong and good of an idea that vision is to build around this quarterback that I completely believe in. All right, let's go ahead and shift gears here and get on to the next part of the podcast. In the next segment, we're going to talk about Ndamukong Sue and replacing the snaps that he takes and the possible options there. Kind of Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. We've got one more item on the agenda here to talk about in the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, the Thursday, March 22nd edition. As the news is kind of slowing down a little bit, not a whole lot going on this week. One linebacker visit as well as DeMarco Murray this week. But we're going to continue to talk on the podcast here and continue to give you guys five shows a week. We are ramping up the coverage for the offseason portion of the NFL calendar and just kind of talking about some things that happens. We'll probably do a mailbag on tomorrow's show, on Friday's show. So I'll post that early on Twitter on Friday morning, or excuse me, Thursday morning for the show, over the recording of Friday's show, and probably cut it off around 6 o'clock Eastern because I'll probably record around that time. So we'll have a Twitter mailbag for you guys here on the show on Friday. But let's talk about this piece. It's going to be up on LockedOnDolphins.com here soon. It might even be up there right now. I'm just not sure if I'm going to get time to finish it up and polish it up and get it edited and posted to the site yet. But talking about options to replace Ndamukong Sue, and there are a few. Obviously, you guys know about this. And the Dolphins could basically... One option is to stand pat and just not really do anything and rely on the fact that Jordan Phillips is in a contract year. Devon Godshaw had a very good rookie year, and Vincent Taylor surprised as well as a rookie too. But you're still probably going to have to have a fourth guy. Now, it doesn't have to be a first-round draft pick, while that's certainly a choice with some of the guys that are available there, but it doesn't have to be someone there. You could probably fill out another late-round defensive tackle or maybe go for Nathan Shepard from Fort Hayes later in the draft, maybe B.J. Hill from North Carolina State in the second round would be the spot he'd have to go at, or maybe Harrison Phillips from Stanford in round two or three. There are options there to replace Ndamukong Sue. We've talked about Vita Vey. We've talked about Deron Payne and their possibilities in terms of being just complete disruptors on the inside. And I think you draft those guys because you believe they can disrupt the passing game, not because you have to find someone to replace Ndamukong Sue's snaps. And it's probably going to be, no matter what happens, it's going to be a bit of a mixed match because you're not going to find they're not going to find a player as good as Ndamukong Sue right away. Vita Vea and Deron Payne could be that soon or even maybe even you know as early as their rookie years, but to count on that would be foolish. So I just don't think it's going to happen. I think you have to add one guy. Like I said, I don't know who it's going to be yet, but they're going to have to add a fourth guy because you can't just rely on those three guys. If one guy got hurt and you're trying to rely on like William Hayes kicking inside and nickel packages or whether it's Charles Harris or Robert Quinn, like like Ian Wharton mentioned on the podcast yesterday, kicking inside on those nickel pass rush packages, you still don't have the depth there for the running game. And if you lose a guy and then you go into the game with two defensive tackles, you're definitely very, very thin at the position there too. So you have 
85% of the snaps to replace. It's going to have to come from somewhere. The pieces are going to detail that better than I just did on the podcast right here, talking about replacing Adamakin Sue and completing that defensive line rotation for the 2018 season and beyond. But that's going to do it for today's podcast, guys. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, and check out the other Locked On Sports podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Give me a follow on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fans and follow our flagship show at Locked On NFL, both on Facebook and Twitter. And check out the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network, LockedOnDolphins.com. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. Just uh-huh.